told You're listening me I was to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sizable chunk of my Sunday evening arguing with people on Twitter. I'd probably say that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, but if you told me it was going to be about a fan base turning on El Mago, Javi Baez, not liking El Mago, I would have said, nah. And then I would have remembered that he went to the Mets and everything would have started to make sense. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And honestly, it's going to be Straight Talk brought to you by uh, Straight Talk Wireless for this first segment here. Because Fitz, there's a lot of things to say about what went down with Javier Baez and the Mets. And for those who don't know, the basic story is the Mets have been in a free fall. It has been a bad August for them. The fans are coming out in waves to boo them and criticize them. And Javi Baez and his buddy Lindor and some others decided that they would respond to those boos when they got a win and started to have some success by giving a thumbs down to the very fans that had criticized them during their struggles. And here's what Javi said about that thumbs down gesture. What is the thumbs down celebration after a big hit mean? Just the booze that we get, you know. We like we're not we're not machines. We're gonna struggle, you know. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna struggle seven times out of out of ten, and and you know, it just it just feels bad when 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 we strike out when I strike out and I get boo. You know, it doesn't really get to me, but like I want I want to let them know that when we success, we're gonna do the same thing to to know how to to let them know how how it feels, you know, because. If we win together, then we we gotta lose together, you know. And 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 the fans are really big part of it. So, in my case, they they gotta be better, you know. I, I play for the fans and I love the fans, but you know, if if they're gonna do that, they they just putting more pressures on the team, and and that's not that's not what we want. After the Javi Baez comments, Mets president Sandy Alderson thought it was useful to send out a statement. I've never seen a mm-hmm. statement when someone shushed a crowd. Gave someone the finger, anything of the sort, but apparently a thumbs down and Baez's statement was enough to set a statement out from President Sandy Alderson saying that the fans are allowed to express their disappointment. Booing is every fan's right, but the Mets will not tolerate any player gesture that's unprofessional in its meaning or directed in a negative way toward the fans. Also vowed to have a team meeting. And Buster Olney, our own Buster Olney, said on Twitter, it's impossible to think of another prospective free agent making a bigger public relations mistake than Javier Baez did today. Burned one bridge and likely severely damaged his chances with other teams. Francisco Lindor needs to prepare an explanation for his participation, too. Uh, the one that comes to mind is Trevor Bauer. I don't know if if you would consider that a prospective free agent making a bigger mistake than a thumbs <laughs> down. To me, that seems pretty clear, Fitz. I mean, th- this is the thing, and I, I, everybody's going to be up in, uh, I think, uh, in an uproar over what we're about to say. But I want to say this so clearly. As somebody that comes to everything that I do from a fan's perspective, not that long ago that I was sitting on my couch watching ESPN, listening to ESPN radio, everything I do, I do from a fan's mindset. That's part of what I bring. And through all of this, I keep looking at it and saying, if it is a fan's right to boo a player, then it is absolutely a player's right 
to boo a fan. At some point, you're booing the player because you think they're not doing their job. Well, ask a player what a fan's job is. Part of a fan's job is to create an atmosphere, to create that sort of extra oomph that you need, to create whatever that home field advantage is. If you're not executing that to the player's liking, why can the player not turn around and tell you where to stick it? At the end of the day, when you buy that ticket to walk into a stadium and arena, if you think that it's your right to boo a fan, remember, you're paying the organization, and the organization decides to pay the players. You're not directly paying the players. There's a huge middleman in the middle of all of this. So if you have an issue with the Mets, the Mets have an issue with you. That's one thing. If you have an issue with Javi Baez and Javi Baez has the issue with you, everybody has the right in that process. If you can boo, they can boo you back. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. By the way, you could be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Tweet us at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with fans bill by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. I had a lot of people coming at me last night on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, and I said the same thing. A lot of people don't agree with me that it sucks to boo your own team, and they're allowed to have that opinion. That's my opinion. I do not boo my own team. I boo the other team and I save my displeasure with my team for talking about it at the bar or whether or not I pay for tickets or whether or not I support them. I don't boo them because I believe that the players are always doing their best. But to believe you're allowed to boo and that they're not allowed to be mad that they're trying their hardest and getting pooped on by their own fans while they're struggling, that's soft. People keep calling Javi Baez soft. How about you freaking out about a thumbs down? A thumbs down is the is the cause for all of this? A statement from your president? People saying he should get cut or suspended? Come on. This is a guy in Javi Bias who I understand has not had enough time to engender himself to this Mets fandom. He had years with Chicago. He was part of a World Series win. So I understand if he shows up and he's striking out several feet in front of a couple pitches and he made a, a, at least one base running blunder, that that's going to be frustrating to you. But to me, this feels like a fan base who inherently does not understand what comes with the Javi Baez package. And he comes with a ton of heart and passion, a guy who will try harder than anyone out there. So the idea of booing him during his struggles or the team during their struggles just seems incredibly counterintuitive to me. And everyone in my menchies saying, basically, I spent my hard-earned money, so I earned the right to scream at them and boo them and trash them. I just don't agree with that. I inherently don't agree with the idea that these are still human beings. Just because they're rich, just because they're good at sports, doesn't mean that they are no longer human beings out there doing their best. If you want them to succeed, supporting them is probably going to engender more success than criticizing. And now, Javi Baez talked also last night about the boos and if he'll re-sign with the Mets and, I guess, that accompanying fan base. Like I said, the booze doesn't bother me. It, it kind of makes me compare, compete more. I mean, I go out there pitch by pitch and compete. Doesn't like I have a plan, but you know the other team have a plan too. We gotta play against that, and you know we'll see. I, I, I like I said, I love, I would love to play with with, with Francisco, you know, together. But you know we'll see what happens in the offseason when that when that gets there. But like right now, we, we I'm trying to focus on on having a, a a good end of the year and and, and stay healthy. Yeah, he pointed it out, Fitz. They're playing against other professional players who are also trying their best. And it stinks to struggle. It stinks to lose DeGrom. It stinks to go out and get him if if the fan base really wanted Chris Bryant instead. But to me, it just feels like you can't call him soft. 
if you're the ones freaking out over a thumbs down, if that's what's going to motivate him and Lindor, if that's what's going to give them confidence and they take back their swagger and their pride in the process of doing that, I'm not saying it's a great idea to be antagonistic with your fan base, but I also think if you're the fan base who's booing and, and, and making this the response, you suck it up and you say, all right, all right, I'll give you that one. You got a little chesty with me. We got a little chesty with you. Let's go out there and get some W's instead of this pathetic, whiny crap I'm seeing. Yeah, there, there's a spot for me, Sarah. Well, I'll always think of a friend of mine that played in the in the bigs, and he was a he was dealing with a, a streak where he wasn't playing well. And uh, I was talking to him one day before one of our concerts, and when I was on the road, and he said, "Just imagine if right, you know, you're going out to play a fiddle solo. Everybody paid to be there. You've got you know forty thousand people in front of you. You walk out to play that fiddle solo, and as you're about to play, they just start to mercilessly boo you." And for him, it impacted him. It affected his performance. And all I always think about with that is the realistic application for every ounce of life. I mean, if I have a bad show and somebody wants to boo me the entire time, fine. You know, we get that on Twitter, essentially, with what we do. But you best believe that if I have a good show, then I have the ability to clap back. And I have no problem at some point if it is a fan's right to boo then why is it not a player's right to stand up when they are playing well and say, hey, I heard you before and I don't need your support. I have no problem with it. That's Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. One last quick thing. Yes, I am saying this because I'm a Cubs fan and I have an allegiance to Javi from all he did for the team in the World Series, but also because it genuinely makes me sad to think about one of the most thrilling and electric players and this is a situation he's in. I'm not saying that he hasn't struggled. I'm not saying it probably isn't frustrating as a Mets fan for your team to go out and get him and for him to not be the spark you're looking for night in and night out. But I never could have predicted this, Fitz. The way he was beloved, not just in Chicago, and a lot of you rewriting history, go look at how the rest of the league reacted to the kind of stuff that he would do. He's an electric player, one of the most exciting in baseball, and it's just a real bummer for this to be the situation he's in. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit of the QB battle somehow still going on. Preseason's over, and here we are still debating who's going to get the start. It's next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Mac Jones is right there, ready to take the jump. If he does it in live action, what he does in practice, then our competition is answered. I think we're going to see Mac Jones take over. It's the Patriots getting to see Mac Jones by himself without Cam Newton being there. Cam or Mac, we still don't know. While the rest of the NFL coaches, at least most of them, are letting us know who's going to get the start, letting the rest of their Team members know who's going to get the start. We are still waiting on Bill Belichick. And based on practice reps and preseason starts, the answer all along has been Cam Newton. But a lot of folks watching Mac Jones put together an impressive camp and an impressive preseason are wondering if he might be the one sliding in at the last minute to take the job. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Fitz, depending on which analyst you're listening to at any given moment, it is a travesty to imagine Cam Newton getting the job with Mac Jones in waiting. Or it is absurd to imagine that they would take the risk of starting Mac Jones when they have Cam Newton there. Before we even get to the other bloviating talking heads, let's hear from your bloviating talking head. Do you have an opinion on who should get the nod? 
I mean, so there's two different questions here, who should and who will, but I actually think they're the same, and I think it's Cam. And for me, at some point, as much as they've spent, they, they spent that kind of money because the Patriots want to be good right now. It's, it's rare for this team to spend the kind of cash that they spent this year, and they obviously are also getting a bunch of players back that opted out last year. So the Patriots are expecting to take a big leap forward, and they still believe in Cam enough to hold it down. I also don't think that the Patriots as an organization have any real rush to put Mac Jones on the field. What I think is funny about all of it is we're sitting here saying it's not sure when, in fact, like Bill, who, you know, Belichick doesn't really mince words most of the time, has made it pretty clear throughout this entire process that it's Cam's job until he loses that job and that you don't lose the job because you had an injury or an illness. So I don't know why we're we're suddenly figuring that Bill's going to do something other than what he's told us because he's been pretty clear on it. I think it's Cam's job. What about you? I think it's Cam's job. I think for a number of reasons. I think, number one, we know that Bill Belichick is not a huge fan of rookies, right? He's not in the development game, never has been. Uh, He's always been willing to be patient and let guys sit in the system and learn. Cam Newton was uh, a a departure from that, but he was a veteran, former MVP, who came in in a situation that was going to be a brand new reset for a team that had had their quarterback situation figured out for two decades, right? Right. Um, and because of that, I think he wants to give Cam the opportunity. We've heard how much he likes him as a leader. He knows how difficult last year's situation was coming in late, no training camp, COVID slowed him down. And I think he wants to see what Cam can do with, like you said, a team that they put a lot of money into. Now, Mac Jones has been really impressive. And I think as soon as Cam falters and if he gives them a difficult time winning I think it's not going to be a super long leash and not nearly as long as they anticipated before Cam started before they started to camp started I should say before they started to see Mac Jones but I've heard Seth Wickersham say this and I do think this is an interesting angle they are hosting the Buccaneers October 3rd and I'm just not sure they mm-hmm. want to put Mac Jones out there against Tom Brady I think there is I don't you know it's not that I think Bill Belichick is caught up in things like that over the idea of the most important thing, which is winning football games. But I, I do think there's a part of him that wants to protect the future and what they have in Mac and maybe believes that that's something that you wait on. Now, Dan Orlovsky is convinced if they put in Mac right now, this is a team not only on the heels of the Bills, but could win a Super Bowl. I truly believe this. If they start Mac Jones, they close the gap to the Buffalo Bills within their division. I think they close the gap in the AFC when it comes to their ranking in regards to Kansas City, Cleveland, and Buffalo. And that's a pretty extreme take. He had more to say about it, but essentially said, I wouldn't be surprised, and I would say that they could be Super Bowl contenders in Mac's first year. But Bart Scott says, nah, Cam should still get the job. It would be dumb to go with Mac Jones. You have Cam Newton, a very capable quarterback that didn't disqualify himself for being a starting quarterback during the preseason. You have to understand, Mac Jones may look like Tom Brady, but remember what Tom Brady did. He went on TB12 because he didn't want to look like that. Mm-hmm. That's not a good thing that he looked like Tom Brady when you talk <laughs> about that porous, satellite-built body. He's going to have hey. to commit to being – listen, he looks like Luka Doncic. Stop it. We always make fun of Luka and the soft How's it tissue. working out for Luka Doncic, Yeah, yeah, but, but I'm talking about the soft tissue That's $200 injuries. million. Dollars. The soft tissue injuries, right? You got Cam Newton. You yeah. got this rental – that has a that has a great engine in it that can do things that the other car that you have your little uh, Dodge Caravan in the back at the house is built for comfort and security. But you still have this reckless <laughs> rental car that you can crash and hit, and it don't matter because guess you. what? You're turning it in at the end of the year. 
interesting angle there, right? It's not just about <laughs> Cam's got a lot of starts under his belt. He knows what he's doing, but like, ah, if things don't go well, whatever, get rid of him and you got the next guy. I mean, the the thing that stuns me is actually Orlovsky's thought that, you know, with Mac, they're a, a Super Bowl caliber team. I mean, I guess I would ask how many games better does he think Mac is than Cam for this right. roster and this mm-hmm. team? Because I, I feel like the Bills are clearly the best team in the division. And if you take away the benefit of the doubt, that's asking a lot. But take away the benefit of the doubt that we randomly give Bill Belichick for everything. I don't think that it's even close. Now, even if you want to give the benefit of the doubt in, it still looks to me like a team that's battling for a wild card spot. So I don't know that Mac Jones does much more, even if you think he's better or you you think, and he's two or three games better. I mean, that's a, that's a huge leap for me for a young quarterback in this league. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I would say the Patriots and the Steelers are the teams that I've heard the biggest swings on how they'll be this year. There are those who think the Patriots are instant contenders, Super Bowl contenders. There are others who, like you, are like, oh, they'll be good if they get back into the playoffs. Same with the Steelers. I, we know Brooke Pryor was on here talking 13 wins, and a lot of people are like, oh, I don't think so. Uh, in addition to the conversation continuing about Cam versus Mac, a lot of conversation about Carson Wentz as well. Here's Schefter with the latest on Wentz out, not for injury this time, but for COVID protocols. Today, The Indianapolis Colts also placed their quarterback, Carson Wentz, on the reserve COVID-19 list on the day that he was supposed to come back and practice in full. Now, again, he is said to have been a close contact, so it's likely he's only going to miss five days, which would put him on track to return to practice next week and be in line to start the regular season opener against the Seattle Seahawks, but yet another slight setback for Carson Wentz on the way to him trying to make He's come back from the foot surgery. Fitz, not a lot to say about this except for he's unvaccinated and those protocols are longer and more difficult if you're unvaccinated, especially if he does indeed test positive instead of just close contact. That's 10 days. And I believe that returns him three days before the season starts. This was supposed to be the time he was spending making up for the injury time lost. Yeah, and it's important to note that as recent as about 20 minutes ago, the NFL and the NFLPA agreed to regular season COVID protocols. Again, agreed upon by the union with the teams. And one important note there is the high-risk close contact protocol will remain the same. Fully vaccinated individuals will not be designated high-risk close contacts subject to daily testing and masking for five days. So only unvaccinated players are at risk of missing games without a positive test. So that's just Something real. Keep in that, mind. That, that's part of the reality. It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz. Coming up, we're going to continue going around the league. We're going camping. We were just talking about the Bucks and Tom Brady. They're coming up next here on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline Sarah and I are doing what no other radio show in the history of radio has done. We're doing training camp tours as we go through and get you ready for everything you need to know in the regular season. Don't worry. We'll get to our favorite teams. We set, we set those aside. They're going to come last. But now we're going to go com- camping in only the way this show can. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. All right, as we do our camp tour, we head over to the Goodyear Hotline 
to talk all things Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks, and we do that with Pat Donovan joining us there. Pat, my friend, thanks so much for hanging out with us, buddy. Been a minute. I uh, always love talking to you. So, uh, obviously, the Bucks return basically everybody in this process, right? And so, it's easy to look at them and say they are going to repeat. What's the biggest obstacle standing in front of the Bucks? I think just history and what we all know about the game of football, right? And that's the war of attrition. It's just so difficult to get through a season healthy. And then we saw that, right? It bit the Kansas City Chiefs a year ago. They couldn't stay healthy on the offensive line. Pat Mahomes was even banged up in the Super Bowl. And, and we saw what happened there. So aside from injury, it's really hard to look at this team and, and find a weakness or find a concern. You've got evidence really on both sides of the football that they should be better than they were a year ago when they won a Super Bowl, which is pretty unthinkable. All right, give us some of that evidence. I'd love to hear it. Well, I think, you know, you look at the defensive side of the ball, and last year Todd Bowles had to spend a portion of that season kind of waiting for his young secondary to get to the level where he had the confidence in him, in them, to be as, as multiple and to do as many things with the blitz as maybe he would want to. Todd Bowles, and yet I know you guys know this, he's a creative defensive coordinator, but if you don't believe in your back end or you're not, you're not sure that they're where they need to be yet, it's tough to be as, as, as physical and, and to go after things with the blitz as much as you want to. So I think on that side of the ball, you look at Vita Vea getting healthy, you know, and missing a big part of the last year. You've got, you know, your defensive backfield as young as they were, Carlton Banks and, and just, you know, Carlton Davis, I'm sorry, and across the board, uh, they're just, they're a young football team that you add a guy like Joe Tryon Choyenka to the, to the defensive line and that pass rush. They're just, they're going to have a lot more opportunities this season. Talking to Pat Donovan about all things Buccaneers as we get you caught up and ready for training camp or the regular season at this point for them. Uh, So, you know, Pat, I think some of the naysayers would say, well, look at the playoff matchup against Washington and the, you know, the Washington football team really was close to taking them down. I mean, is there some sort of a formula that that team showed that could be used this year to try and beat this Bucs team? Well, you know what? They were so good on the defensive line. And anytime you're playing a great offense, you're going to have to be good on the defensive line. And I think that that's what Washington did last year that gave them fits in the playoffs. But you know what? As long as they can block them up front and give Tom Brady time, you know, we talked a little bit about the evidence on the defensive side of the football and why you kind of expect them to be better. But offensively, you know, Tom Brady talked about it last year. He spent a good portion of the off of, of the season just trying to figure out that offense, trying to figure out the verbiage. Now he's comfortable. Now, instead of learning together, they're fine-tuning this offense. And you look at Giovanni Bernard in the backfield and the options that he's going to give them as a pass catcher out of the backfield. And really, when Tom Brady drops back to pass, I just I don't know how you cover everyone. With all of the things that were working against this offense last year, Tom Brady trying to get comfortable, not knowing his way around the offense, being worried about his parents moving to Tampa. I mean, there were all, so many things that went into last season being difficult for Tom Brady that are not hurdles for him this year. And it should be scary for the rest of the league. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Pat Donovan as we go camping with the Bucks. Let's talk about Bruce Arians. I know he's been pretty vocal about having his own COVID plans for the season. Really very similar to last year after what went down with Ryan Suckup and, and the Titans and and just wanting to be extra careful. Have you heard anything Maybe not full Cole Beasley from anyone, but have you heard anything from the Bucks camp about players not being on board with Arians and his particular decision-making around COVID protocols? 
No, and I wouldn't be surprised if privately a couple guys aren't necessarily thrilled, but that's kind of one of those things that, that winning heals, right, is some of those concerns or issues that you might have with the way things are done. You look and go, yeah, but the results, right? The results were what they were last year, and as difficult as it's going to be, it's still probably not going to be what it was a season ago exactly. Maybe they'll be a little bit looser, but I know guys would love to go out when they're on the road, but it's, it's eight weeks a year. You're going to be, or actually nine weeks this year, right? But it's it's nine weeks this year, and then you know, then you're going to be able to go out and do the things you're used to doing. So I think these guys, this team, they're so committed to winning and trying to do it again, and having guys like Tom Brady on the offensive side of the ball and Jason Pierre-Paul and Dominican Sue on on the other side of the ball that are a little later in their career and want to do it again. It's really going to help some of those younger players kind of go. You know what? It's the right thing to do, even if we don't love it. All right, Pat, you know, I'm going to ask you a selfish question because one of my fantasy leagues, the draft didn't really go my way too much, and suddenly I end up with Ronald Jones as one of my better options as a running back. It didn't work out for me, but we got Jones taking on Fournette in some level of who's going to be the big guy. Is there going to be a main running back that's featured in your mind this year? Boy, I thought I was in trouble because I don't have a whole lot going on behind Saquon Barkley, but yeah, if Rojo's your (laughs) best option... It could be an issue. Listen, I, I do think that Ronald Jones is the best running back on this football team. I just also think even in games where he's a guy that maybe gets the majority of the carries, you still might see Fournette kind of come in and be that vulture on the goal line, which we never want to see. They're also going to throw the ball so often. And now with a pass catching back in Giovanni Bernard, you're going to see less opportunities, in my opinion, out of the backfield in that capacity for Ronald Jones. So while I think the kid, and we start a great touchdown run against Houston on Saturday night, right? Well, I think the kid is ready to take another step. I also don't know that they're ever going to look at somebody right now on this team and say, you're the guy, you're the bell cow. I think they're going to ride the hot hand a lot like they did a year ago. Spain and Fitz, we're going camping with the Bucks as we get ready for real, actual football that counts. It is so close I want to give the rest of the league a little bit of a chance here. First of all, I also recognize that whenever we've got a favorite, it very rarely goes their way. So maybe that's all we need to know about the Bucks. But give us some more hope in the form of where are the weaknesses other than maybe uh, the, the running back situation? Well, listen, I think that, and I don't know that I look at running back as a weakness. I just think with Maybe so many other strengths on the situation. offense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when, when, when you look around this football team, listen, Donovan Smith, is a guy who turned a corner last year and really at the end of the season looked like a different football player than we've seen from him in the past. But, you know, if he were to revert uh, back to the guy that we had seen for most of his career, you know, you, you need somebody protecting Tom Brady's blind side. So, you know, that, and again, the injury situation is always something that can come up and bite a team, but it, it just, I don't see a ton of weaknesses. Are there going to be an opportunity opportunities for teams to beat them? Of course, they're not going 17 and zero. I won't even have that discussion on our show. I think it's silly. Nobody does, right? Nobody does, but, they're going to be very, very difficult to beat. But if you're going to do it, I still think it's going to be exploiting that secondary. As good as I think they are, I still think you're going to be able to make some plays against this football team. And if you're going to beat them, get ready to outscore them. Pat, uh, not not a lot of fan bases know uh, Jameis Winston better than the Bucks. Now he's the the starter for Tampa Bay or sorry for New Orleans. What kind of success do you think he can have with the division rival? 
Uh, man, I'm so intrigued to see, and I'll be 100% honest, I'm not necessarily unbiased when it comes to Jameis Winston. I think I love the young man. I got very close with his family uh, when he was in town. So I'm, as much as I don't want to root for the New Orleans Saints, I, I am rooting for Jameis Winston. And listen, we all know the talent is there, and it's, it's not that he doesn't have the mental capacity at this level. My concern is, and you guys know, what makes Tom Brady great, it's not that he's a better player physical player than anybody it's that he makes the decision faster it's that he makes the right decision fast and that has been what has bitten Jameis Winston throughout his career yes he's a gunslinger yes he's going to try to make every play but at this level you have to make the right decision fast and as smart as Jameis is he hasn't shown that ability to always make the right decision as quickly as you need to at this level and that's why we've seen all the turnovers and as exciting as it was in their last preseason game, and he put up a couple of big touchdown passes, a couple of great catches on those as well. You need to see him become a little more consistent and stop turning the ball over. As much as I love the kid, I just don't know we're ever going to see that from him as an NFL quarterback. Pat, before we let you go, we have to ask you for a prediction. I know it's early, but we're getting them from everybody, and then whichever reporter most accurately predicts their team's season record, they'll get some sort of prize. We haven't figured out what it is, just the pits will pay for it. Remember, it's a 17-game season. What is your prediction? Well, you guys keep bringing me on the radio. That's enough of a prize for me. <laughs> I think I, I think the Bucks are going 14-3 and three this season. I do. And, again, I just I can't. I can't pick anybody to go 17 and 0 and they won't go 17 and 0, but I look at the schedule and there isn't a team that I think should beat the Buccaneers. There are teams that are going to beat the Buccaneers because no one goes undefeated, but I think they're going to go 14 and three. 14 and three. Woo. That is, that is beefy right there. Pat, as always, man, appreciate your expertise. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Enjoy the season. Always fun guys. Thanks so much. Hey, Fitz, some quick news uh, from Nick Wagner uh, reporting that Trey Lance has a small chip in his fingers, going to be out about seven days, according to Kyle Shanahan. Worse than a jam, a small chip fracture. It just needs about a week's worth of rest. Should heal on its own. Hope to be back to practice next Monday. But that's an interesting wrinkle in the Niners situation. Uh, a niner situation we're going to get into later in the show and how they handle the quarterback situation. By the way, Pat Donovan gave us a straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. All right, we're going to get you caught up on that, not just the 49ers quarterback battle, but some other quarterback news happening across the landscape of the NFL. We'll do it with NFL Quickies next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM channel. It's on your smart speakers if you just ask them to play ESPN Radio. It's that simple. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. As Sarah mentioned just a minute ago, we have news on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. It comes from Nick Wagner, ESPN NFL Nation reporter for uh, the San Francisco 49ers. As he tweeted out earlier about 45 minutes ago, the 49ers quarterback Trey Lance has a small chip in his finger. is going to be out about seven days, according to Coach Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan clarifies it's worse than a jam. It's a small chip fracture injury. Just requires about a week's worth of rest. Should heal on its own. Hope it w- hope is he will be back to practice next Monday. That leads us seamlessly into a way we can get into a bunch of different news with some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. So let's stick there for a second as all eyes will be on the quarterback battle for the 49ers. But I say quarterback battle, 
I'm not sure, Sarah, it's really a battle because what I saw yesterday, other than just the 49ers whooping all over the Raiders' butts, was an incredible plan for the first two drives. If you look at the snap count, they got 14 snaps to Jimmy G, 10 snaps to, to Trey Lance, and they really seemed to split the job between the two of them in a way where it wasn't just series to series or drive to drive. It was play to play, and the defense had no idea what was coming each particular time. I mean, it kept everybody on their heels. It was beautiful, and I have this mindset of Kyle Shanahan's such a great offensive mind. Why not let him cook? If he's got great ingredients, let him do crazy fun things. Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, because of this injury, is even more certain to be the starter starter. But to your point, Trey Lance will be back in time to get right back into it, and they probably have a lot up their sleeve that we did not see at all in the preseason. We do understand that Lance needs more time to get ready. I think it's a no-brainer that Garoppolo gives you the best chance to succeed overall. But in terms of the ability to do this, something that most people would argue is insanity, to not have the rhythm and the steadiness and the consistency of a same quarterback all game long, it is Kyle Shanahan. He is a guy that we trust to be able to make it work in a more elevated and more distinct level than what we see, say, with the Saints when it was Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. We saw those gimmicky plays. We saw him come in off and on. But this feels like it would be much more intentional and a lot more work on both the Niners and their opponent if they stuck with a little bit of an alternating scheme. Here's what Kyle Shanahan said. Uh, he's been keeping it pretty close to the vest. That's what we'll have to see. I mean, I, I don't like playing this game, but everyone keeps asking me that question. I'm not just giving the answer just to satisfy the question. I think we got a pretty good idea, like I said, all along. Uh, I think our team does, and um, we're pretty good with it as long as I can keep surviving press conferences. Yeah, his... his... <laughs> I, I'm all right with it. It's just trying to be respectful. His press conference scrambling has been uh, uh, similar to his play calling in that he's not willing to show you anything he doesn't have to. We've seen from Trey Lance seven carries for 16 yards, some of them just scrambles in and around the pocket. He's taken six sacks. We have not seen him unleashed at all when he is. This could be a really fun offense, Fitz. Yeah, also, I thought it was interesting that they put Jimmy G back in in a goal line situation, and it made everybody think that Jimmy G was going to throw. And, in fact, he was the one that did the naked bootleg Mm -hmm. and tried to run it and got the touchdown. So it's like it just puts everybody on edge and makes everybody uncomfortable. If they can do it, I think it could be absolutely spectacular. Let's get to the next story. Quickies. And that revolves around Deshaun Watson. Now, there's been a lot of conversation about where Deshaun could head, and it looks like, according to the Internet and the World Wide Web, that uh, all eyes are on the Dolphins and whether or not they're going to acquire Deshaun Watson. This is what Adam Schefter said about Watson's situation. I think everybody's watching Deshaun Watson and how the Houston Texans handle his particular situation at a time where there are investigations going on with the FBI, the Houston Police Department, and the NFL. The Houston Texans would be open to dealing him, but there's also a school of thought that they could wait and just hold him on the roster, keep him inactive this season, and decide to trade him after this season. But they seem to have to make some sort of decision about whether they're going to trade him or carry him on the roster here in the next 24 hours with teams having to have their rosters at 53 players by the time we get to 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Fitz, it does feel like a 53-man roster will include Deshaun Watson. That'll cost Houston about $10.5 million. 
to carry him. Uh, they would still have to pay his base salary even if he was inactive. Um, and I do think there's a chance that the NFL will decide to make a choice once he's actually uh, at that part of the season. They tend to save that um, commissioner's exempt list for during the season. It at least feels like that might be what's holding them back from making any strong decisions thus far. Uh, We're also hearing potentially some conversation around the Dolphins and Deshaun again, although Flores today basically said, we're interested in the players that are on the Dolphins roster. That's who I'm interested in. Kind of an easy way to avoid answering the question, because if Deshaun Watson were to be added to that roster, he could certainly say, oh, that wasn't my decision or my call, but he's now on my roster, so he's a player I'm interested in. Oh, that is so true. In the meantime, in the meantime what are they doing to Tua's head? I just, I, I, I mean, yep. at some point, if you're Tua, I, I know we all think you just keep your head down. I don't think it's that simple. Uh, speaking of not nothing being simple, let's get to our last story here for quickies. Quickies. And this comes in the form of obviously bigger issues than football. But the Saints, uh, being in New Orleans, obviously are not expecting to return to the city this week following Hurricane Ida. Uh, So much damage has been done at this point. uh, Sean Payton has said he's unaware of any significant damage to the team's practice facility. But he expects the team to practice away from home next week because of widespread power outages, other damage throughout the region again. There are bigger things than football in this conversation, but it's undeniable that these things will impact the Saints, not just the the facilities, not just the stadium, but also the players, their lives, their mindset. All of this comes into play. It's much like Katrina in that sense. 100%. Obviously, the big focus is on the people who need help right now and need to be made sure that they are taken to safety. But we're on the sports side of this thing, and this is not the first time the Saints have had to deal with this. Um, you know, a lot of players from the team saying they need to figure out how to compartmentalize. They need to worry about the safety of their friends and family, the recovery of the city, the safety of their homes and their possessions, while also understanding that they play Green Bay in less than two weeks, right? That they have to focus on the jobs in front of them as well. Obviously, these adjustments are nothing new. The Saints have had to deal with this before, and I'm sure they have a couple plans in place. But they'll be practicing with the Cowboys, and they've got a ballroom at the hotel for a meeting room, and they probably are just going to say, we'll take it day by day. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's just a reminder, though, the human side of all of this. Uh, uh, it, for everybody that's playing on this team, even if the Saints as an organization have a masterful plan that is brilliant and wonderful and perfect to deal with this situation – I don't know how the players just in general like focus on life. I mean, I, it's so difficult to be able to focus on what you need to get done at home when you're talking about this sort of catastrophic damage and the people you love and everybody that's affected by it. And at the same time, you're also having to turn around and focus on football. I understand it's their jobs, and I understand that everybody will get through, but I also understand that as human beings, that's incredibly difficult. All right, as we get you caught up on all things training camp, we will get thoughts on one of the bigger eh, teams that we're trying to figure out next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're going to get back into some of the big football questions, more general football questions, but as we've done all preseason long, we're checking in with the camp for each NFL team ahead of the regular season to see the biggest burning questions they've got as week one approaches, and we do it the way we know how. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at... Camp Granada, camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. 
That's right. We're going camping with the Cardinals. Vince Murata from Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. Or is it AM? I think AM. FM. FM. I'm reading it right. I'm good at reading. Bickley and Murata on Arizona Sports (laughs) 98.7. Let's start with the biggest uh, burning question. Is there an expectation based on camp and preseason that Kyler Murray will take another big step forward this season? Uh, yeah, Sarah, I think that's a fair expectation to have. Uh, he was certainly going along that trajectory last year. Uh, and at some point, whether it was the Miami game or the Seattle game, he got dinged up a little bit. And, uh, you know, it affected his shoulder, and the, the Cardinals' offense changed at that point. You'll remember after the Buffalo game, they were 6-3. and three. They were in first place in the NFC West, and, and the whole landscape changed at that point when Kyler Murray was limited. So, uh, if they can keep him healthy, they've they bolstered the offensive line. If they can keep Kyler Murray healthy, I think that's a very fair assumption to say that uh, they're expecting him to make that leap. So who's under more pressure going into this year in your mind? Is it Murray or Coach Cliff Kingsbury? I think it's Kingsbury. Um, you know, Kyler Murray, they did uh, invest a first round or first overall pick in him in a whirlwind 2019 draft a year after they had spent the first round pick on Josh Rosen. So I think he's insulated a little bit. I think he's got a little bit more job security. Uh, at one point, there, there seemed to be a thought that, that Murray and Kingsbury were tied together. Uh, and I don't, you know, as, as time goes on uh, and we're getting into year three of, of that tenure, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. So I think, uh, I think there's more pressure on Cliff right now. Let's talk about the breaking news I saw coming up just a couple minutes ago. A lot of folks reporting that Malcolm Butler is considering retirement due to personal situations. Do you know anything about this? Uh, yeah, it's new to me, too. Uh, I heard it right before I came on the air with you guys. Um, you know, it's, it's apparently a, an off-the-field personal problem that, that Malcolm Butler's going through. There's no details on that. So first and foremost, you hope everything's okay. From the Cardinals' standpoint, if, if he goes down that road and, and does retire, I mean, they are really, really thin already at, at cornerback. Uh, and Malcolm Butler was, was brought in in free agency to kind of lead that whole group after they let Patrick Peterson walk, and, and he went to Minnesota. So, um, you know, fingers crossed that, that everything's okay, uh, both with Malcolm Butler and his personal situation. But uh, they're, they're in big trouble if, if uh, he does go down that road. We're talking to Vince Morata, Arizona Sports 98.7 FM on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And so if that's the case, I think the only argument you can make for Cardinals fans is that, you know, this offense is built to score so many dang points that maybe they could just outscore everybody. When you look at this offense particularly, I keep looking at Rondell Moore that was drafted. What kind of impact can he realistically have for them in his rookie year? It's it's a great question. Um, he's one of the guys, and, and the Cardinals were limited to just two preseason games because their game on Saturday got canceled because of Hurricane Ida. Um, but in the two games they played against Dallas and Kansas City, they weren't real creative or productive offensively except for when they were using Rondale Moore. Now, the, the yardage numbers weren't very uh, you know, eye-popping, but they did go out of their way to use different ways to get him the ball on short passes. There was uh, you know, a, a handful of, of jet sweeps. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think they recognize what kind of talent they have with Rondale Moore. Realistically, if A.J. Green is healthy, he's at best the, the fourth wide receiver in this group, though. Yeah, it leads me right to my next question. We're talking to Vince Murata of Arizona Sports 98.7 FM here on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear Hotline. What do you see out of A.J. Green? Fourth receiver, huh? So not seeing uh, that he's got a ton left. 
Uh, well, more more being the fourth receiver. Uh, you know, I think I, I think it's probably ideally it's probably Hopkins one, AJ Green if he's healthy two, Christian Kirk as a slot guy oh, okay, maybe three. Okay. Yeah, uh, but I was no, say, AJ that's Green a is, 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 <laughs> it's still a big it's still a big question. Uh, obviously, his his resume speaks for itself. Seven Pro Bowls. Uh, the numbers last year, you, you can't ignore it. They were ugly, over 100 targets and only 47 catches. Quite a number of incomplete passes that were going his way when it really didn't plague the rest of Cincinnati's receiving core. So when the Cardinals made that move, there were questions about how much A.J. Green has left in the tank. We haven't seen, we didn't see much of him in the preseason, uh, but the Cardinals, to a man, are raving about what they've seen. And there's been some some national reports, too. Uh, you know, Lewis Riddick came out when he did the, one of the Cardinals preseason games and said he looks phenomenal. He looks like he did several years ago. So if that's the case, you know, the, the, he, he could be a big X factor in this offense. Well, and realistically, Vince, he's got to be because this is such a crazy crammed division of greatness. I mean, I look at the West and I keep looking at it, trying to find the truly weak team. How do the Cardinals stack up in their own division? Uh, honestly, in my opinion, not well. Uh, <laughs> I look at the moves that they made, and yes, there's questions about a lot of those big moves, J.J. Watt being one of them as well. Uh, but you can't look at it in a vacuum. You have to look at the real estate around the Cardinals, and it is rough. I think the Cardinals right now, I feel comfortable saying that they're clearly the fourth best team in the division, uh, and wins could be hard to find in those six NFC West games. They have been in, in recent years. You keep walking me right up to my next question. What are you seeing from J.J. Watt, hearing that they are expecting to play him less than he has in the past, but still expect him to offer a lot to this team? Yeah, I think the number, Sarah, that they put out there is 65% of the snaps is what they'd like to see J.J. Watt ideally participate in. Uh, That's way down from, I think it was 91% of the defensive snaps for the Texans last year. Uh, The idea is to keep him fresh, um, and if it works, you know, I, he says all the right things. Uh, he's got a motor like we haven't seen very often in, in the NFL. And, you know, if you compare him with, with uh, reinvigorated Chandler Jones, you might have the makings of a really, really special pass rushing duo. But, again, like, like most positives with the Cardinals this year going into the season, there are questions around that. So, Vince, we've been asking – I know it's early and, you know, we're just getting them ready for the season. But we're asking everybody to make a pick, a prediction on the final record for their team, 17-game schedule. And uh, whoever gets the number square on the head, like there's going to be a winner that gets a prize that, you know, Sarah's going to pick out and suddenly make me pay for. So, That's right. what is the, uh, what's the <laughs> final record for Arizona in your mind when this thing's said and done? Well, I'll, I'll preface this by saying it's a boring prediction. But it's not as boring as going 500 because that doesn't exist anymore with the 17-game schedule. But I'm going. I'm feeling like eight and nine for the Cardinals this year, which would not be an improvement over last year. Does, yeah. King, does Kingsbury keep his job in an eight and nine season? I kind of feel like they need to make the playoffs, um, and I, I don't even know if nine wins will get you into the playoffs this year. Nine and eight doesn't sound all that impressive, but yeah, yeah that's my thought going in. Is you know when you were six and three last year stumbled down the stretch and you're going into year three with what you think is your franchise quarterback there, there has to be progression there's got to be improvement so improvement to me would mean the playoffs I completely agree with you I just think they are you're right stuck in a very tough division that has a lot of teams feeling the exact same way we you know this this uh and I don't I don't know if you rush to fire a guy who could be a great coach because of the competition you're facing but uh, certainly something to keep in mind as we watch the cards this year hey thanks for the time Vince really appreciate it 
Hey, no problem. Anytime. Vince Morato of Arizona Sports 98.7 FM giving us the Straight Talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up in Spain and Fitz. uh, By the way, if you want to catch anything on the show that you might have missed, you should always subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get it on Apple, iTunes, ESPN app, wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up, what you won't miss is our next edition of NFL Quickies. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Week one in the NFL is coming up soon because we just can't get enough quickies. We got to get all the quickies in before the business starts. <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And we're brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. Like I said, too much NFL to get to as teams get ready for week one. We got to do it the way we do around here to get it all in. It's quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Second quickie of the night. Congrats to both of us at our age. Really, it's impressive. Uh, Let's touch on the Pats quarterback situation again. We talked about this earlier and Fitz, I guess the only thing that's surprising to me, it's it, it's not that I would believe that Belichick would have any interest in letting is, us in on what's going on or caring at all about, you know, what the media gets out of this situation. But I would kind of think that he might want the team to to stop, you know, getting asked about it, to stop spending or wasting any time talking about whose job it is, which makes me think he really hasn't made a decision yet. Do you buy that? Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's just an element of me that if, if some of his in, uh, answers have been a little bit wishy-washy, but some of his answers have been squarely camp. I don't feel like I've heard anything that makes me think he's leaning Team Mac. And I, I think earlier you made a really strong point about the schedule. And when you continue to look at the Patriots' schedule at the beginning of the season, they open with the Dolphins. That's a huge game in the division, right? Then they get the Jets. But then they have the Saints, a difficult game, and then the Buccaneers, as you mm-hmm. mentioned. Like, to me, I keep looking at that Week 5 matchup where they've got the Texans, arguably yep. the worst team in the NFL. Yep. Like, if you're going to put Mac in, why not? Like, What's the rush at this point? It's not like Cam is a liability, even if you believe Mac is going to be great. Give him time to figure it out. Like, I just don't think anything has pointed to squarely Cam losing the job to Mac. In fact, everything has pointed to him getting it. He started all three preseason games, and in practice, he let off most of the drills. He missed a couple days of practice because of the COVID protocols, and Mac Jones looked great. But there's no reason to think Cam isn't the starter, except, you know, Sunday was pretty ugly. Two for five for 10 yards and an interception. So that's an 8.3 passer rating. Uh, The pick wasn't really his fault, but it's doubtful that that would be the deciding factor. It does feel like Mac Jones getting time with the backups and Cam getting all those starts has made the decision clear to us. It's just a matter of officially saying so. We'll just see how long Cam's leash is. I think it would have been a lot longer before what we've seen from Mac Jones. Now there's a lot more enthusiasm about what he could do for this team if he gets in there. It's Spain and Fitz. Let's get to the next story. Quickies. Carson Wentz just can't catch a break, and I guess you don't get to catch breaks if the decisions you make affect your availability, and he was put into a five-day quarantine alongside three, uh, two other Colts players, and because he's unvaccinated, if he ends up testing positive, that's 10 days out. Hopefully, just a close contact will be back, but he is missing incredibly important practices because he already missed most of the preseason to surgery. Here's Marcus Spears when he heard the news of Wentz hitting the COVID list. Do you know the amount of pressure 
on Frank Reich and Carson Wentz. Mm. Yeah. Do you know how much that has been been magnified now? Yeah. With all of the things that's transpired in Indianapolis. Listen, no more bad news for the Colts, please. Everything needs to smooth out and these guys get ready to play a game. Yeah, good luck with that. I don't think that's going to happen. But pressure also on the Eagles, right? Wentz needs to play at least 75% of their offensive snaps for their second-round pick to become a first-round pick. And uh, I don't know if that's going to happen based on a number of things, including injuries and COVID protocols. Yeah, well, and again, I want to stress the COVID protocols, again, have been uh, agreed upon with an update today with the NFL and NFL Players Association uh, there are some changes at this point. They're going to be testing uh, players, fully vaccinated players, and coaches and staff will be tested uh, every week instead of every two weeks. There are some changes on mask protocol, but the most important thing for everybody to remember is that one thing has remained the same, and that's that uh, at this point, if you are non-vaccinated and you come in close contact, you have a, a chance of missing a game. I mean, that's just the timing still changes that difference. So uh, the high risk close contact protocol will remain the same. Fully vaccinated individuals not designated for high risk close contacts. They can be subject to daily testing and masking for five days. Only unvaccinated players are at risk of missing games without a positive test. Yeah. It's a choice that will continue to come up every single time Carson Wentz or any of the other really high-profile players in the NFL who are unvaccinated find themselves in the protocol. They're going to hear it every time. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're doing some NFL quickies. Let's get to the next story. Quickies. Yeah, I did mention the Eagles, so since I invoked them, let's talk about that Gardner-Minshew trade. Uh, Minshew mania, is it going to hit PA? One thing we know for sure about Philadelphia and that Eagles fan bases, they are hot on whoever is sitting behind the starting quarterback. That's something Tim McManus talked about. The way the Eagles see it, what they spent to acquire Gardner Minshew, a conditional sixth-round pick, is about what they would spend on a developmental quarterback in the draft. Instead, they get a proven commodity, somebody who has thrown 37 touchdowns and has 20 starts in the NFL. And if things go sideways this year, and with COVID-19, it's not that unlikely that a quarterback or two would be unavailable in a given week. They now have somebody with a proven track record who can step in. The Eagles love to pour resources into the quarterback position, regardless of who the QB1 is. We saw it work very well for them with Nick Foles stepping in and helping deliver the Super Bowl title in 2017 as a backup. Jalen Hurts is the projected number one, but they're buying insurance just in case something goes wrong. Yeah, Fitz, this feels obvious in terms of Jacksonville's decision. Uh, Minshew was not going to start over Trevor Lawrence, even though Urban Meyer tried to tell us there was a real competition there. The only question is how great they feel about Trevor Lawrence's health behind that offensive line. They've got C.J. Beathard, obviously, and Jake Luton, so they've got some backups, not backups as strong as Gardner Minshew. But the Eagles are in a situation where Joe Flacco wasn't a fit. Nick Mullins wasn't good during the preseason. And they wanted someone that would feel a little bit more certain with some uncertainty around Jalen Hurts. I like this move. I do think, though, for a guy who hasn't gotten a lot of votes of confidence in Hurts, it is pretty difficult to have Minshew mania sitting there knowing what Eagles fans think about the backup after everything that went down with Nick Foles in the Super Bowl win. 
Yeah, I, I hate this move. Uh, really? I, I mean, through and through, because of everything you just mentioned. I mean, Minshew also is somebody that wasn't ready to concede the job to Trevor Lawrence, and we all knew it was going to be Trevor Lawrence's job. Like, he's not I, a quiet I like personality. That about him. Yeah, I me mean, too. He me was too. funny about it. I'm not taking a number two because number twos are not a possibility. I mean, I'm glad he finally got to hit the toilet once they announced Trevor Lawrence, but I like that fight. I like the fight in him, but I, I hate all of this for Jalen Hurts. I mean, if you're Jalen, you got to look around and say, man, like, it, are they, do they believe in me? And I think that does matter for some young quarterbacks. I think it, it matters knowing that, you know, the building is behind you. I think what they've done is they've created a shadow that will become a rock star because that's what Gardner Minshew mm-hmm. does wherever he goes. And that right. rock star is going to be celebrated by Philly every time Hurts has a bad game, which could happen early in his career. I mean, why are you taking a developmental quarterback when you just drafted one in the second round last year. I will say this much. If anybody has proved that he can handle the ups and downs of sports, of being replaced and usurped and then earning back a spot, it is Jalen Hurts. And so the hope is that you avoid that situation entirely because Jalen Hurts is just so good that Minshew stays securely in the background as a number two. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing NFL Quickies. Final story. Quickies. I have no idea how I missed this about a month ago. But Janoris Jenkins, who is now on the Titans, is now going by Jackrabbit. Jackrabbit has been his nickname for quite some time. But not only is he saying, yeah, I like that nickname, it's fun. He's saying, yeah, Janoris isn't my name. Only call me Jackrabbit. Please put it on the roster officially. I love this. It's weird. I don't get it. And I'm here for it. Uh, can you give yourself a nickname? I mean, wherever well, he it came from. He already had it. He already okay. had it. As yeah. long as he didn't give it to himself, that's all that matters. I, look, Jackrabbit is way more fun to say than Janora, so I'm all in for this. He was in the film room when he got into spring ball early for college, and the coach said, you're moving fast, you're moving like a jackrabbit, because where I'm from, we're catching rabbits. I don't know why he doesn't like his name anymore, but if your nickname's Jackrabbit and the name Jackrabbit Jenkins just rolls off the tongue, I'm here for it. More football next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Hard day's life for Falcons fans. Spain and Fitz on ESPN <laughs> Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and your smart speaker. You can just say, hey, play ESPN Radio, and it'll do that for you. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Speaking of Progressive Insurance, all of ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection for more than vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. All right, we've been taking you through all of the different training camps We've saved some of the more interesting ones for near the end. And one of the interesting ones would be in the form of Atlanta. Let's go camping the way only this show can. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. All right, one of our best ESPN NFL Nation guys, Mike Rothstein, ESPN Falcons reporter, joins us on the Goodyear Hotline. But, Rothstein, you were the Lions reporter. Now you get the Falcons beat. You're down there in Atlanta, and it looks like this team's going to stink. Are you ever going to watch good football, man? Yeah, what did you do to the boss, man? I I, I really don't know, but I I got a question before we get started on this, because y'all are camping, and when when your producer called my phone, it came from, it said Montserrat. So where are you? <laughs> well, the show is live from France this year, if oh, you can that's, believe that's it. Fancy. We decided to spend the whole football season at Montserrat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I'd rather spend it. I, just, I saw that and I, I was infinitely jealous. I'm not going to lie. Honestly, like, it's probably oh, like a real like, trash <laughs> city in in New Jersey that just like, tried to yeah. use that name in some sort of way to like you know spruce up the vibes. I mean, I know we got to talk about football, but I will tell you, I was stunned when I first moved to Tennessee and somebody's like, you ever been to Paris? And at the time I hadn't. And then I found out they were talking about Paris, Tennessee. I didn't know right. it was the thing. By the way, I, I believe Montserrat's actually in Spain. It was just occupied by the French. So my apologies if my history is off. I just know the word itself is French. But I think it's in Spain, which I guess is appropriate for Spain and Fitz. Oh, look at that. All right, Rossi. Oh, uh, let's, get, let's get to the Falcons at this point. And I will ask you, uh, you know, as much as it's easy to hate on this team, this team has been at least competitive for the last several years. Now they're sort of in rebuild, rebuild mode. So internally, what's the expectation of their ability to just be a competitive football team this year? Well, here's the thing. They at least outwardly, right, are saying that they're not in rebuild mode. And I think some of the moves they made showed that, starting with restructuring Matt Ryan, keeping him around, not drafting a quarterback. Now, there are multiple reasons why they shouldn't have drafted a quarterback once they extended Matt Ryan. But this team still has a lot of talent offensively. Defensively, they have a lot of good top-end talent. It's depth that is a big problem. And Terry Fonno, Arthur Smith, when they took over this team last year, that combined with, obviously, the covid knocking the cap down, all of a sudden you're in a situation, if you're the Falcons, where the cap hit is bad. Their, their cap situation is terrible. And that hurt them. But they have the talent, I think, to be competitive. It's just really there where a lot of teams are five or six injuries away from being in real trouble. They feel like they're anywhere from one to three injuries away from being a team that's going to have a real big drop-off real fast. And that's the concern. A lot of excitement about Kyle Pitts. A lot of confusion, maybe, about this being the team that felt that they were in the position to take him with the fourth pick in the draft. How has he looked, and can he single-handedly make this team relevant? I think so, especially offensively. Listen, the buzz around Atlanta, and I've lived here all of like three months, right? So I don't know what buzz around Atlanta is for other teams, And although I saw it with the Hawks. The buzz around Atlanta is all about Kyle Pitts. Fans were getting annoyed when they didn't see Kyle Pitts the first two preseason games. They saw him for two plays, in, it might have been three, in the preseason finale on Sunday night. They saw him catch one pass that went for 27 yards, Kyle Pitts, then went to the sideline, and you'll see him again in two weeks. And I think that there's a lot of hope that he is as advertised. And I can tell you from watching him every day in practice, Everything I've seen is really close to that, especially for a rookie tight. And he does have some issues with drops here or there, but I think that that's just getting acclimated to catching passes from Matt Ryan and getting involved in the offense. If there's one thing I can feel pretty confident about in my job, and this goes back to what Fitz was joking about before with covering the Lions for eight years, there have been three tight ends drafted in the top ten since, oh, I don't know, 2011, 2012, I've covered all three as rookies. Eric Ebron, TJ Hawkinson, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts looks easily right now out of the gates the best of the three, and it might not be close. So so give me like a sense of how explosive, because this is such a different offense. No Julio Jones. We're not sure exactly where Matt Ryan is in his career. Now you've got Kyle Pitts. How explosive can this offense be? I think it can be pretty explosive, and I say that because they have four potentially high-level pass catchers, and that's not including Mike Davis, who can catch the ball in the backfield, and Corderell Patterson, who used to play receiver and now is going to be kind of a running back receiver kick returner. 
They have Calvin Ridley, who is one of the best receivers in the NFL. Maybe doesn't get enough credit because for a while he was playing in some ways in the shadow of Julio Jones. They have two pass-catching tight ends in Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst, don't forget, playing in a contract year and was a former first-round pick. And then watch Russell Gage. Russell Gage is a guy that when Julio Jones was hurt last year, came in, played well. I think it was between 700 and 800 yards receiving that he had last year. He's now definitively that number two receiver. Sure, he may still be the third or fourth pass-catching option in this offense, but he is going to be a guy that could get a lot of single coverage looks because teams are going to be focusing on Pitts and focusing on Ridley, and he could have a real breakout year because, listen, Arthur Smith, what he's known for is offensive scheming, and he has said, hey, I'm going to match and look to try to exploit matchups, and that's with Kyle Pitts, that's Calvin Ridley, and it's going to be with Russell Gage and with Hayden Hurst as well. So I think that that makes them really intriguing. They have the potential to be explosive. Wouldn't say that they're there yet, in part because we've seen next to nothing from really any of them in the preseason besides practice, but the potential is there for them to be a really explosive offense because Matt Ryan can still throw the ball, and there's no question about that. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're going camping with the Falcons and Michael Rothstein of our ESPN Falcons coverage. Let's talk Josh Rosen. He's been such a fascinating story. Some have described what the NFL did to him as essentially turning him into um, some sort of, you know, captured, uh, you know, every interview looks like it's a hostage video. But I still want to believe that there's something in there. And his outing was a nice little spark. Do we think he's going to make the roster and and maybe even contribute? Uh, listen, if Josh Rosen's playing any significant snaps for the Falcons this year, something went really, really wrong, and that's no knock on Josh Rosen. It just means that Matt Ryan's hurt. Right. And Matt, if Matt Ryan's hurt, I don't care who their quarterback is, that does not necessarily lead to a recipe for success in 2021. All of that said, Josh Rosen was with the Falcons for all of really five and a half days before he stepped on the field at Mercedes-Benz Stadium last night. Thought he looked pretty well. He admitted, hey, he had pretty small repertoire of plays to work with. Arthur Smith actually expanded that during the second half. And there were some plays that looked really, really off. Some clear miscommunications there. A couple balls he literally threw to no one. But on the whole, I thought Josh Rosen looked good. He looked like he had commanded the offense. His arm has looked good all week in practice. I asked Arthur Smith on Sunday night after the game, hey, did what Josh Rosen show you Basically say, hey, I want to see more of him, meaning, hey, you're going to keep him on the 53 and reach for the short term and see what happens. He wouldn't commit to that yet. Cuts are due at 4 o'clock tomorrow, so we're going to get some sort of answer there. But I thought what Josh Rosen did last night was enough to maybe get him more of a look. We'll see what that leads to. But to me, Sarah, and this was maybe the most impressive thing, Josh Rosen talked for about, oh, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes last night. He hadn't talked all week. And he was incredibly introspective about his career, introspective about where he is right now in that career, and said, listen, everything that I've gone through, sure, I may have gone through my struggles, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said it made him a better human being, and he feels like he's more in a position to take advantage of any opportunity he has, including this one in Atlanta, than he's been at any point in his career. He learned that from Ryan Fitzpatrick. He learned that from being on the practice squad with Tom Brady, and from obviously all of those travels and travails that he has had after being the number 10 overall pick of the Cardinals in 2018. 
So obviously it's early, but we're asking everybody to do it. You got to make a pick uh, on on where this or give us a prediction on the final record for the Falcons. Whoever gets it the most accurate going to get a prize. Sarah's picking it, and apparently I'm paying for it, so it's going to be cheap. <laughs> but uh, what what's your thought? What's the final record for the Falcons this year? Well, I hope if I get this exactly right that I get a trip to Montserrat because there I know that's exactly how. Wait, this by the go. way, I figured out it is both in the Caribbean. It's an island in the Caribbean that the French took possession of twice, but then was carried over to the British and yada yada. It's also a mountain in Spain. So uh, there you go. I'll take the mountain. All right. If I get this right, you're sending me to a mountain in Spain, which I think a lot of people in my life will probably be happy about because, you know, (laughs) come back so fast. But I'm going to say that they're going to go nine and eight. Right in that middle middle range. They're going to win a few games they shouldn't. But as we were talking about at the top, that depth is going to hurt them late in the season, and it'll probably change a little bit. I mean, nine and eight's better than I was thinking you were going to go. Follow him on Twitter, at Mike Rothstein. As always, appreciate you, my friend. Be well. Thanks for hanging out with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That was Michael Rothstein giving us the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Everybody's so positive. I really thought he was going to really? go with like a five-win season right there. So, so We have you know, very we'll few people. I think everyone wants to be optimistic early on because I think the worst record that we have um, is still – no, no, no. We've got we've got a couple folks who who, who went who went uh, more realistic, like you know the Jags going five and twelve. Although that's still, I guess, pretty optimistic for the Jags. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, but uh, let's wait and see what people say about the Bears and the Raiders, which are still to Oof. come later in the week as we get there. Uh, that's why I drink. All right, coming up, uh, there is only one take that is the right take when it comes to the Mets <laughs> and Javi Baez. You'll hear it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. What is the thumbs down celebration after a big hit? Mean? We're not, we're not machines. We're gonna struggle, you know. Seven times out of out, out of ten. It's, I understand where, where fans are coming from. They want us to play better. They want us to do better. When we strike out, when I strike out and I get booed, we're gonna do the same thing to let them know how how it feels. Everybody's got a take on Javi Baez giving a thumbs down to the Mets fans. There's only one take that matters because it's the right one, and it's our take. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests have joined us on the Goodyear Hotline. I'm just going to be blunt. I love everything about this. Frankly, I have zero issue with Javi Baez coming in and giving multiple thumbs down. I have zero issue with him stepping up and saying, hey, you know what? You booed me. I'm going to boo you. I have zero issue with a player clapping back to fans because at the end of the day, as much as fans will say, I paid money to be in this seat, Sarah, I still believe that what they paid money for was to go to a game and have an experience. And there is no guarantee of win. There's no guarantee of greatness. You don't get any of that. And you gave your money to the Mets, not to the individual player. If you have an issue with the individual player, understand that individual player is an employee of the Mets, not an employee of you, the fan. So realistically, the Mets are the massive middleman in all of this. And at the end of the day, if the Mets fans have a problem with the Mets players, why would the Mets players not be allowed to conversely have a problem with Mets fans? Well, can we also talk about how how much somebody is paid, whether you employ them or not, who works for whom, doesn't allow you to just not treat someone like a human being? I know that's a novel concept for sports (laughs) fans, and over the course of the last day or so as I've been responding on and off to Mets fans, not all of whom disagree, by the way, we did hear from at Bobby Broad on the 
um, Spain and Fitz Nation, uh, part of the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, and said, as a Mets fan, I think it's silly to boo someone who's only been here a month. Yes, fans are frustrated, but it's not as if Baez is dogging it out there. Thank you, at Bobby Broad. And there's been a handful of Mets fans who have agreed. But I, I just think when we get down to the core of it, if you're someone who's either arguing that's what they get paid for or that's what I pay for when I buy a ticket is to be a jerk to somebody, I just – that that – concept doesn't ring true for me and especially doesn't ring true when you're booing your own team you could be frustrated you could be disappointed but in the end to me it feels like give it if you need to and if you need to give it you better be ready to take it and be happy that he's got confidence and swag and passion and wants to get hyped up in a moment when he succeeds and give it to you a little bit back. I know most people don't want that, but that's because they want to have a one-sided relationship. Fitz, we heard about this a bunch right after COVID when fans got being back into stadiums and they were throwing things and yelling racial slurs. And I realize this is not the same, but to have a statement from your president, to have fans calling for suspension because you can't handle a thumbs down? Come on. I mean... It especially bothers me because it's all on the premise that the players aren't trying or that they don't want this. And maybe if you're the Orioles and you're at the very bottom and you haven't won a game in forever, I think they actually just won one and ended that streak. But if if that's the case, maybe you can sell me on someone dogging it on a, on a given night. They're just not in the mood. You're not going to sell me on professional baseball players in a playoff hunt not trying. They're just getting beaten. And I don't think booing them is the the thing to do, even if the majority of sports fans will say I'm soft or I don't get it. I just to me, it's 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 a sad approach to watching these people who, yes, are good at what they do. And yes, make money. That doesn't mean that they get to just take whatever you want to give them. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio brought to you by my computer career training for a better life. And, you know, I so for me, the booing thing doesn't particularly bother me now, I will say. I have spent most of my life as the fan of a team that for most of my life has been absolutely awful. And as everyone knows, if you've listened to this show, I've talked pretty openly on Monday about my language and the inappropriateness that it gets while I'm watching a Raiders game. That being said, for all of the games I've gone to in my lifetime, I don't particularly remember ever standing up and booing a a dreadful football team. Realistically, though, I've booed plenty of officials. I'll be the first to admit that. <laughs> now, uh, realistically, I have no problem if you want to if you want to boo somebody. I just don't understand why then you have a problem being booed back. Like, right. why is there this concept that I'm supposed to be able to walk up to this player and say whatever I want, but the minute they clap back, they're soft. They're entitled, Fitz, because I spent my hard-earned money to buy a ten-dollar beer and take my family, and that means I can be mean and rude to anyone. But because they have money, they don't get to be human. They don't get to be frustrated. Honestly, it's it's wild how we can have these brief moments where we recognize the professional athletes are human. That was a couple people for Simone Biles during the Olympics, and a whole lot of not people during that as well. But like, then we immediately get back to. Toxic masculinity BS of he's supposed to be a professional and not respond at all to that. But we're allowed to be whatever we want because we're frustrated and childish. The the hypocrisy, though, in in sitting there and calling anyone soft while you're reacting to the fact that they gave you a thumbs down is just maddening stupidity to me. And that's what I can't wrap my head around. Like, uh, And I've said this throughout the course of the day. But uh, what is a fan's job? 
Right. And, and I, I say fans job with air quotes, but anytime you've ever gone to a game, if it's third down and you need a big stop and you're not standing up and cheering, the fan next to you will give you like that. Come on, get up. We, this is our job. This is what we do. Right. We're the 12th man. We hear all of this. Like the fan takes that job. And I've, I've been that fan for so much of my life. We take that job really seriously. So if you're going to look at a player and say they're not doing their job, is it not OK for a player who understands what you can what you perceive your job as a fan to be? Is it? not okay for the player then to turn around and say hey you didn't do your job you certainly didn't help me do my job which is your responsibility as a fan so I have no problem turning this entire thing around on its head from a player standpoint and saying hey guess what just like you sat in the stands and yelled I stink in a much more violent way I'm going to turn around and now remind you that you stink and that's fair play if you're going to talk that level of smack it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Now, all of this defensive hobby doesn't mean that I think it was wise or that it's going to serve him well, certainly not in a place like New York, where it feels like the fans really are very proud of their ability to turn on their own team. They, they really are. It's, it's, it's not, a, oh, it's something you get used to, and I wish we could work on it. No, that's who we are, and we're very proud of it. Meanwhile, there's people telling me, Take him back to the second city. He'll never be embraced by Mets fans. Take Lindor with him, right? Imagine that. You're so angry about a thumbs down and that you're not being coddled as fans that you want to send away Lindor and Javi? I mean, honestly, Fitz, to me, it's it's really funny to all the messages in my in my menchies from the Mets fans about, oh, I guess that's, that's why you never win because you're too soft and you let them and you don't care about winning. You just want to be nice to them. Okay, we've won more recently than the Mets have. Okay? All that, we're tough on our team and it's what works. Show me some receipts that aren't lighting your own minor league stadium on fire with your fireworks, players threatening to fire journalists, etc. Like, show me some receipts, Mets, about how you're such a well-run organization. I'll just be over here watching replays of the World Series from just a couple years ago that Javi Baez was in while you weren't. Ooh, that's the fiery take we needed right here. Javi Baez is going to join Freddie and Fitzsimmons. You do not want to miss it. They're taking over. Thanks for hanging out with Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And as always, we're hanging out with you on the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.